0: hello and uh, welcome to this second in our series of expert review podcasts my name is andrew knights i'm a partner at harney's and head of the tax and tax regulatory practice in luxembourg now expert review is a series of podcasts designed by harney's to examine governance regulatory and tax matters that we believe are are important to us as advisors, our our clients, and the wider community. And today, we turn to the topic of beneficial ownership. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined in this discussion by Paolo Panico, with whom I've worked and continue to work in uh, challenging some of the conceptions that are built around this particular topic. Now, Paolo is, without doubt, one of the most multifaceted lawyers I've ever met. Paolo is multi-jurisdictionally qualified, including Luxembourg and Scotland. He's a prolific writer, lecturer, and speaker. His publications include an excellent treatise on international trust laws. And Paolo is also an editor of, of a book published last year, and the timing of this is quite good for purposes of today, titled Beneficial Ownership Registers: The Step. Handbook for Advisors. He's a director of private trustees, an independent trust company in in Luxembourg. And I have the personal pleasure of working with him on the STEP Benelux Committee. But actually, he holds much loftier positions within trust, not only at the STEP Europe level, but the STEP global level. And then finally, he's as multilingual as you will find anybody. So, Perhaps we can we can start uh, with some introductory comments, Paolo, on the BO concept, um, giving it something of an historical perspective and perhaps looking at a couple of recent
1: developments. Thank you very much, Andrew, and thank you for the presentation, which, as I'm afraid, set very high expectations on our public. Let's hope that will be met by the end of this 15 minutes. Um, maybe I would Focus on two main developments in the area of uh, beneficial ownership and beneficial ownership registers in particular. Because since the first register was enacted in the UK in 2016, the the BSC register, the Register of Person with Significant Control, then uh, the idea that each country must have a public or private uh, beneficial ownership register has become a new world standard. Even the US. Are going into that direction now. Of course, we know in the EU, as in the UK, the view appears to be that these registers should be public, at least as far as companies are concerned. Another development which I think is relevant is that the definition of beneficial ownership in relation not really to companies, but rather to trusts and foundations, has evolved mainly based on the FATF Recommendation 25, which says Basically, anybody walking past a trust or a foundation, for whatever reason it is, it is is a beneficial owner. And, and so to set law, the trustee, the protector, the beneficiaries indeed, uh, all must be identified as beneficial owners for the purposes of AML due diligence. And, and that's dif- that's uh, in contrast with, for example, traditional foundations law, like uh, Austrian foundation law, used to describe beneficiaries, or the Gunstigten, as you refer to my language preferences, um, only as people holding an enforceable claim. Uh, but on the other hand, an Austrian foundation nowadays has a wide range of beneficiaries, including its directors.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely, Paolo. And, and uh, perhaps a couple of other points that have occurred to me in relation to the evolution of the, the concept, in particular, the fact that its relevance now goes way beyond anti-money laundering um, and has got into, for example, the common reporting standard through the concept of controlling person. Um, It's also obviously very relevant to beneficial owner registers, some of which are, of course, publicly accessible. Um, And it's also reached into uh, the DAC6, the Directive uh, on Administrative Cooperation, the sixth version of it. And for those who who are more familiar with the the topic, um, the Hallmark D2, which deals with the concealment of beneficial ownership. So it's permeating a number of other areas of regulation and transparency. But the interesting thing is always, based on the same definition that that we start with, the one one that was produced by FATF and is now embedded in the anti-money laundering directive. And I think on, on that and, and this, this is a bit of a precursor to something we'll discuss a little bit later, I think it's important to note that, that in the definition, there are two parts to the definition. And, and, the, and the two parts of the definition are there because, because the, the term is defined by reference to a customer. So you have to work out who your customer is. And the fact that uh, you that customer may have direct or indirect shareholders that, that take another legal form should not be relevant to the focus that you have on the, on the customer. But I, I know we'll, we'll come on to that in a little bit more detail in a minute. Uh, Paolo, you, you've, you've mentioned the, the concept in relation to trusts. As I said, there's obviously the other leg of the definition in relation to corporate entities. Some thoughts on, um, on how that part of the definition applies to corporate
1: entities. Yes, because for corporate entities, the definition is limited, um, is more restrictive, if we want, because it relates only to people who have in excess of 25% of the shares or the voting rights, or people who can exercise control by other means. And, of course, this is a definition that applies, I would say, quite strictly, for the purposes of the public UBO register. So those are the people whose details must be published in those registers, and they are, as a result, accessible to the public. Uh, of course, banks, financial intermediaries, lawyers, who are uh, obliged to, to comply with AML obligations may request for more, so may be interested in knowing who are shareholders with an interest lower than 25% or maybe older shareholders, but that's a different aspect. Uh, um, is the, the know-your-client kind of AML, as you were rightly pointing out.
0: Absolutely. It's a different aspect. But, um, but what occurs to me is that that aspect has had an impact um, on people's approach to the, to the beneficial owner concept. Um, I mean, for many, for many years, as, as I indicated earlier, the BO concept has been applied in an anti-money laundering uh, context. And, and therefore, it's really been a matter of of internal compliance as to who a beneficial owner is. And and in that kind of context, there's no... I mean, this may may sound a bit lofty, but there's no application of the rule of law. There's no test against the strict legal interpretation of the concept as to who a beneficial owner is. And if a bank, for example, says, I would like some KYC on this person because I treat them as a beneficial owner, well, there's not much that you can do about it. You can have a, a, a lovely academic uh, discussion about it, but at the end of the day, the bank's going to say, I don't want you as a customer if you don't give me this information. And, and this, is, of course, has been exacerbated by the risk-based approach because, and quite legitimately, you know, banks and other obliged entities for AML purposes can, can take a, a, a broader approach to the kind of information that, that they want. And the other, the other thing that, that is relevant to this internal compliance process is that there are no privacy issues at, at stake, really. And as we know now, with beneficial ownership registers and the like and much greater levels of transparency, privacy becomes important and therefore it becomes all the more important to have a, a correct view of what a, what a beneficial owner is. Um, Paolo, so having 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 looked at um, trust in, in, for a little bit, and then separately companies, I think we can probably get onto what one of our favourite topics, where we blend the two entities together, and and particularly focusing on companies that are ultimately held directly or indirectly by by trusts.
1: Um, so I'll I'll leave that to you to. <laughs> This is something we have been exercised for, for at least uh, uh, since the UBO register came into force in Luxembourg. Because uh, in this respect, I think we, we, we have witnessed two approaches. One which, let's, which we may call conventional and we also believe is wrong, and the other one which we believe is right in respect of the letter and the spirit of the law. So the conventional approach would be, since the UBOs of trust are Virtually anybody, then if a Luxembourg company in particular is controlled by a trust, then in the Luxembourg uh, RBE, the, the Beneficial Energy Register for Companies, we should publish uh, the information of everybody, set law, beneficiaries, protector, trustees. Um, this, in our opinion, is not, um, well, this would be correct in France because there's a specific provision under French law which requires that. But it wouldn't be right in Belgium or in Cyprus, where there are provisions to. Uh, the opposite effect, which I think we, we both share the view that the Cypriot and Belgian provisions are correct in the light of the directive, which says a uh, beneficial ownership register of companies must list information on the beneficial owners, owners of companies. So people who have in excess of 25 percent or people who can exercise control by other means.
0: Correct. Absolutely. And, and, and therefore, with a focus on who is the customer in, in the particular case, uh, and in that case, it's a company that's the customer to which you apply the definition. But of course, um, Paolo, you and I have also looked at this in a, in a pure Luxembourg context
1: as well. Yes, as we know, Luxembourg has no guidance to that effect, that there's no statutory provision indicating how to deal with that case, no regulatory um, guidance to that effect, and not even a frequently asked question focusing on this point. So for, in that respect, we both were involved in an exercise by Step Benelux who, that produced a position paper which tried and, and, and illustrated the way to go about it, which essentially is we have to look for either people with a controlling interest in excess of 25% or with a capacity to control by other means on a case-by-case basis, so based on the features of the actual trust. And I think we, we figured out three major examples. So a revocable trust, which of course would include the set law that has a power to revoke the trust as a beneficial owner, an interest in possession trust or a fixed trust in case it has beneficiaries with interest in excess of 25% of the underlying company, then these people would have to be uh, listed as beneficial owners in the beneficial ownership register. And then the, the, the probably more frequent case of a truly irrevocable and discretionary trust where most likely the only beneficial owners are the representatives of the trustee, if the trustee's a company, and perhaps the protector, because those are the only people who can effectively exercise control over the company. Absolutely. And we haven't found any other position. Well, I think I've personally never found any um, scholarly view that would contradict this approach.
0: No, exactly. And I think this is a fine example of where the interpretation of the concept has become a little fluid and, and, and fuzzy around the edges because of the years during which the BO concept has only really been relevant in an internal compliance context. And of course, there is a general suspicion of trusts. In, in in civil law jurisdictions and so if you're sitting with a company with a trust up at the top then you're more inclined to say well actually i really want to know who's behind the trust and what better way of doing it to say that actually the definition of bo in relation to trusts should apply in that case too but paolo i mean is there, is there in fact any doctrinal support for the so-called conventional uh, approach because i you know in, in my researches i haven't i haven't particularly found any and it's and it's odd that they should shouldn't
1: be any. I haven't found any either. In Luxembourg, uh, as we know, the the financial market regulator, the CSSF, published a circular in December uh, 2019. And that circular, of course, confirmed that in the case of a trust, a financial intermediary should identify all the relevant persons. But that's absolutely fine, because the AML definition of the beneficial owners of a trust includes everybody. And and then that circular clarified some examples. And of course, it must be followed by banks and other financial intermediaries when they have a trust as their client. But of course, that circular does not and could not provide guidance as to who should be published in the Beneficial Ownership Register, which is outside Mm. the remit of the CSSF. Clearly, uh, these are two different things. So the clients of financial intermediaries may be companies or, or trust. And if there's a trust somewhere, the financial intermediary must identify everybody. But, so to speak, the client of the RBE uh, is a company. And then the the, the only definition which applies for publicly accessible information is... That's for companies. Absolutely. Um, I, th-
0: I think uh, time's marching on, Paolo, uh, but uh, two, two points perhaps just to close this one off is that um, although we've examined this, you and I, particularly in a Luxembourg context, the starting point is the definition as per the AML directive. And so absent any contrary provisions in any other jurisdiction, and you've mentioned France and so on, um, the, the, that same position should apply across the, the EU. And, and I, I want to come on to... Privacy issues, just very, very briefly. Um, But the so called conventional approach uh, that we've been discussing actually drives a coach and horses through part of the protection that still applies in relation to trusts and the privacy that should be accorded to those trusts. A trust register, there's limited access on the part of the public. The, The company register, there's full access. So if you take the view that a company held by a trust, should disclose all of the role players in relation to the trust onto the company register, which is fully accessible. Well, you, you defeat the whole purpose of uh, the trust register having limited access. So I agree. Yeah, um, and maybe, Paolo, we, we have run over time, so probably a minute or so just on on privacy issues as they arise and and, and where this is heading given the recent Advocate General um, opinion in relation to those ECJ
1: matters? Yes, well, uh, uh, there were two cases from Luxembourg that were brought to the ECJ's attention. One was more general about the fact that the publicly accessible information on the Beneficial Energy Register would be a breach of various GDPR provisions and of the fundamental rights to privacy under the European Charter of uh, Fundamental Rights. And the other one, which was merged in in the uh, court's proceedings, had to do more specifically with the uh, cases where an adult beneficiary can request um, their information to be um, withdrawn from public access. Um, Some people hoped that the court would eventually turn down um, the UBO register altogether, or rather make it um, accessible to authorities only and not to the public. The Advocate-General's opinion seems to be uh, to the effect that the registers are there to stay and to remain public. We'll see whether the court would take a partially diverging view, but I think uh, the conclusion is the register are there, they're going to be public. And for that very reason, as we were mentioning, uh, if there's a trust on top of a company, a higher level of privacy must be guaranteed, which is consistent with the directive itself, which says trust registers are not public. They can be accessed only by people who demonstrate a legitimate interest. And so that should apply even if a trust controls a company. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. That concludes the second episode of, of
0: Expert Review. And um, thank you so much, Paolo, for sharing your thoughts. Um, with with all of us and thank you out there to the listeners for listening and we hope you found it uh, useful the uh, the next podcast will be hosted in a couple of weeks by elena mantrali from our cyprus office and and her topic will be data protection issues relating to the international transfer of of data and that'll be in a couple of weeks time so until then
1: goodbye for now